Well, take your Bible if you can. Um, I was anticipating uh, a little bit of a shorter message this morning in light of the day. But don't count on it because sometimes things happen. You know what I mean? I mean, I have every good intention of doing something and it goes right out the window many times. Anyway, if you're visiting today, God bless you. Good to have you. Uh, We trust that uh, you can sense God's presence with you. Praise the Lord. We're in Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we've kind of gotten into the routine of standing as we read the word. Why don't we do that today? Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse number 12. From 12 to uh, 16. Philippians 2 verses 12 through 16. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, nor labored in vain. Lord, thank you that we are in this passage on this particular day. We pray, Lord, your blessing over the message that you put on my heart to share. Help me, Lord, to to preach it, to proclaim it the way you want. Let it it give glory and honor and praise to you. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be pleased with the proclamation of your word today. May it have an effect here, those at home or online this morning, or maybe others that will watch it later in the week or sometime in the future through social media. But Lord, bless this message for your glory. And uh, may the church be encouraged and edified as a result of it. So, Lord, anoint my lips and my heart and my mind to deliver what saith the Lord today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm just going to get into this today. So in the greater context of, if you've been following us the last couple of weeks, of verses 5 through 11... Verses 12 through 16 is what I would call the follow-up or the next steps following Christ's example, which is in verses 6 through 11. So verse 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then uh, we have the the example of Christ in verses 6 through 11, how he humbled himself and came and, and gave a sacrifice that others would be saved, pleasing the Father. And then verse 12 begins with the word, therefore, because Jesus did that, now you do this. And so I've entitled the message today, Work It Out. Simply work it out. How many gym people are there? People that go to the gym? Only a few? Come on, be honest. Don't you work it out? Well, the scripture says, you know, bodily exercise is good. It's good. But spiritual exercise is even greater than that. So um, work it out. The crux of the message is really this right here, that up until now, if you've been following the sermons from chapter 1 until now, uh, there's a strong connection 
in everything that Paul is saying, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 6, and you all know this verse, but he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. And then verse 5 of chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which is also in Jesus, humbly serving giving your life to the Lord. And now verse number 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's all connected that as he is faithful to complete the work that he started in you, what he's saying in verse number 12 is you be willing to let that process continue along the way. Many Christians, I think, stumble between chapter 1, 6 and chapter 2, verse 12. They want God to do everything, missing the point that God is giving a lot of this to us to work out. And that's where, you know, that's where it gets a little bit sticky. So I want to talk about this. We're going to go verse by verse as we do. And then I'm going to give you... <clears throat> now, I have people in the gym sometimes telling me what I should be doing. They're trying to give me tips. Well, you got to do this. And I say, yeah, I let it go in one ear and out the other. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> well, not everybody, but, you know, most everybody. But I want to give you four tips to work out your salvation with fear and trembling today. Verse 12 starts with the word therefore. So whenever there's a therefore, it's because whatever happened before has to be applied to now. So therefore, because Jesus gave his life for you, emptied himself from glory, came down from heaven, lived on the earth, gave his life away as a ransom, pleased the Father, and the Father exalted him and given him the name above all names, etc. Therefore, based on that, you know, therefore, follow Jesus' example. Then he says, therefore, my beloved. And I think maybe he kind of threw that in just to kind of soften the blow a little bit. I mean, people could have been offended if he said, you know what, you got to work out. Like if I said that to somebody, I, I, I might be a little bit fearful that they would get mad at me for speaking into their life that way. But he said, beloved, I love you. We're with you. I'm with you. What I'm about to say is for your good. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I'm trying to, you know, open up your mind and your eyes to see that what I'm sharing with you is for your own good. But my beloved talks about the relationship between a, a pastor and the congregation, between brothers and sisters in Christ. There's respect, there's honor, there's love, there's grace, there's mercy. So therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, well, it's not like they were forced to obey. I would call it more, more or less a willing submission to the teachings of Paul. Much like in verse number 8, we read that Jesus, he learned, we talked about this last week, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. He willingly obeyed his father. And Paul is saying to the church, I, you, you've always obeyed my teachings, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And he says, whether I'm with you in person and now how much more it's important now that I'm absent from you. Remember, he's in prison up in Rome with Timothy visiting him. And they're in Philippi. So there's a distance between them. But Paul's writing this letter saying, look, whether I'm with you in person or I'm away from you, you've always obeyed. But this is what I want to say. What I want to say is now that we have this example of Jesus, let this mind be in you. You got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. This is a big step. So many people think, well, once I get saved, that's it. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else. I'm saved. I'm good. But the Word of God says, well, wait a minute. So let's, let's break this down and get into this a little bit. But when Paul says, work it out, he does not mean that your works will save you. 
we know from Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of works, lest we would all boast about it. But now that you're saved, work out this salvation. You're, you examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. See if you're living your life through the lens of Scripture. Charles Spurgeon said, regarding verse number 12, this verse is definitely geared to the believer, the one that accepted Christ, not the unbeliever. But in my way of thinking, it's a rather complex thought. Because on the one hand, we know, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he uttered that, that word, that Greek word, tetelestai, meaning it is finished. It's complete. It's paid in full. But yet we hear other New Testament scriptures, such as 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where Paul wrote, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be complete. So we have a completed work on Calvary, but almost like uh, the, a work in progress in our own lives, in our own, in our own uh, commitment to the Lord. There's a work in progress. So while the work on the cross is complete, when one puts his faith in Christ, definitely we are forgiven, we're, we're saved, we're born again. But now we have the responsibility to work out the issues in our lives that led us to the point of realizing we need a Savior in the first place. And note that he says, work out your own salvation. Everyone say own. Like take ownership of yours. It's not the one next to you. It's not your spouse or your kids or your mother. It's you. Work out your salvation. You know? Uh, so here, we, after salvation, we begin this process of resisting sin. We begin this process of striving for holiness and letting the Lord sanctify us for his glory and for his purposes. Matthew 7, uh, just a little note that Jesus mentioned. He said, why do you look at the log in your brother's, uh, the, the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye? Note, little thing, big thing. Work on the log. Take the log out of your own eye so that you could see the speck in your brother's eye. Then you could help him and work with him. But don't be working with somebody else when you got your own issues to deal with. So he says, you know, work out your, your, your salvation. Work out your salvation. Then he adds these words with fear and trembling. Because these words, in, in my way of thinking, add a little bit more like seriousness to the issue. Like it's not a casual thing, just work out your salvation. You know, it'll, everything's going to be okay. But no, work it out with fear and trembling. But this also creates a little bit of a situation in, in my heart and in my mind. Because I know, Pamela, you said it earlier. 2 Timothy 1.7, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. So how are we going to work out our salvation with fear if he hasn't given us a spirit of fear? but of power and love and a sound mind. But verse 12 is not referring to the fear of hell, the fear of damnation, the fear of anything other than a fear, a respect, a reverence for the holiness of God to whom one day we will all give an account of our lives. And it's not an account of condemnation or, 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 or a rejection. It's a, it's a, a judgment of what have you done with your lives? Let me read this, uh, 2, 2 Corinthians 5, 
verses 9 and 10. It says this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether we're present or absent, to be well-pleasing to the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. It's not a judgment of salvation or condemnation. We're, we're beyond that. We're, we're saved from that. But it is a judgment of what we've done with what we have since we've been saved. So this opens up a whole thing in my mind and in my heart. So... 1 Corinthians 3 talks about whatever you, you build your life on. He uses some imagery. Like if you build your life on wood and hay and straw, in other words, things that aren't, don't have any, any eternal value, they will be burned up. It won't, it won't discount your salvation, but there's no reward in that. But if you build your life and you, you do things built on gold and silver and precious stones, they will withstand the heat and you'll be rewarded with that. You know, there's going to be rewards in heaven. There's going to be crowns. There's going to be recognition. I mean, getting into the whole life of heaven is a whole nother subject worth getting into at some point. But there's a whole nother realm of existence in heaven. Part of that is being recognized for what we've done on earth. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus came from glory. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. He died a gruesome death. He gave his life for you. God the Father raised him up and exalted him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But now what are you going to do now that that has saved your soul? That's what he's saying here. And what, knowing one day we will stand before that judgment seat, the Bema. It's called the Bema seat of Christ. Uh, so uh, with this in view, Paul is saying, you'll know, work out your salvation, your own salvation with fear and trembling. The verse 13, I think, has a lot of support for verse number 12. Just to paraphrase, because really it's God working in you to want to change. It's God working in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. Well, what does that mean? It means that when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came into your life. We have, God, we have, the, we have the Spirit of God in us in salvation. Because we no longer belong to this world, we belong to Christ. There's something going on with us, and we realize when I feel some conviction or I feel something's wrong. I mean, when I first got saved, no one really had to tell me a lot of things that I needed to get out of my life. I just knew certain things could not be acceptable to God. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying here. You, you got salvation, but work it out. And anyway, it's God working in you. It's God doing it. The hope of glory to, so that your will changes, your desires change. What you will to do, what you do for his good pleasure. The Lord is really looking for cooperation. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we don't flow with God here, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And we're probably grieving our own spirit as well. Like when we do something wrong, we're saved, but we do something we know is wrong anyway, we don't really even enjoy it because we know we're under conviction of it. We're grieving the Holy Spirit, but we're grieving ourselves as well. And so it's better to flow with the Holy Spirit and work on these things. And let me throw this in. Sometimes the things we have to work on take years. 
Some people would say even a lifetime. But that struggle, that thing we're working on, is the very thing that God uses to guess what? Keep us close to him. When we recognize we can't get this victory without God. I'm going to stay with God. Now, now, now Paul gets, thank you, Paul gets practical here. Verses 14, 15, and 16. These are examples of how this plays out. So verses 12 and 13. Okay, work out your own salvation. Is God working in you? Sounds great, right? Sounds wonderful. We should put it on the board somewhere. However, verse 14 gives us practical examples how to do that. And in this case, I I keep wondering if the Philippians had an issue with this type of thing, because this is like the fourth time it's being addressed. But do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, oh, now you're getting personal, Lord. I, I, I was with you up until then. It's my nature to complain. It's the way I was raised it's the Italian thing, right, Pamela? It's just, you know, the way, it's, it's, it's every culture, it's, it's everyone's fault. This is the way we are, you know? I don't know, but see, Jesus, go back to the example Jesus gave. He gave everything to redeem us. What are we going to do with that? So you could say, you could be a Christian and live in verse number 14 and complain and have disputes all the time. I guess you could, but you're going to be miserable and make other people miserable. But uh, it would be much better for everyone involved to work on that. That's what he's saying. Work on that. Because that will hinder what God is doing in the church or in your lives. The world, the unsaved, the unregenerate do those things in verse 14. The church, the the believer, uh, we've been delivered from this. And so we're, we're instructed, work it out. Work it out of us, you could say. In verse number 15, we could say, it goes like this. Do all things without complaining and disputing, so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In other words, work this out so that you'll progress in your faith. You'll mature in your faith. You will develop as a Christian person. You'll you'll reflect Jesus better uh, when you do this. You'll be blameless and innocent as a child of God, without fault in the midst of a sinful generation. In other words, your behavior reflects the God that you serve. And what did Jesus do in verses 6 through 11? When he was before Pilate, we talked about that a little bit. He was silent. He never retaliated He didn't yell. He didn't argue. He didn't complain. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who left glory and gave his life. But let that same mindset, attitude, be in you as you move forward. Verse 15, second part of that verse, so that we could shine as lights in the midst of a crook. So we need to be shining as lights. Didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 5? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So complaining, arguing, bickering, uh, all these things dims the light and diminishes the effectiveness of the gospel in our lives. This is what Paul is saying. 
So verse 16, he says, holding fast the word of life. I like a little poetic, you could say, but holding, holding on to Jesus with all your heart, holding on to Jesus, not giving in to the pressure of the world, the pressure of your background, the pressure where you came from or how you used to talk or act or whatever, but trusting God for change in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and in your spirit. Amen. And then, then he, he summarizes this, this little passage in verse 16. So that, I, I, Paul is saying this, so that I can rejoice when Jesus comes back and I, we realize that my labor was not in vain with you. My, my ministry was not in vain because you're doing the right things. Well, Paul takes it personal. He really does. But this is his calling. This is his, you know, this is his, this is what he does with his life. He's pouring out to these people. So anyway, work it out. It's a great passage. I've been wanting to preach on this passage for a long time. So I was always intrigued by verse number 12. But following Jesus' example, get his mind and attitude of humility, servanthood, willingness. Now go and do the same. Literally do the same. And isn't it something that Paul, by the Holy, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that this is all worked out among people. Uh, and we were always, I mean, I would always say, Lord, let me just work this out in private. Just me and you, Lord, we're good, right? But he says, no, work it out with people, because that's where your true colors come out. So I want to give you four tips to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you go to the gym, Jason, what do you think? Half hour on the treadmill? One day do some dumbbells? Next day do some stretches? Do different things? Yeah, I got that down. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the results, but I got it down. I know what I got to do. <laughs> Here's tip number one, okay? If you want to work out your salvation, if you understand the principle, number one is you've got to know your strengths and weaknesses. You've got to know what to work out. And there's certain things at the gym I don't touch because I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that. <laughs> well, that's a matter of opinion. That's another story. But anyway, we have to know what to work out. Because my problem may not be your problem. I, my, I may not have a problem with that, but you do, or vice versa. You know, My problem is not your problem. Well, what is the problem? Well, we're all different. That's why he says work out your own salvation. Don't worry about mine. Worry about yours. <laughs> now, now you, you can go to Galatians 5 if you want to. I'm going to just share a couple of things. And I'm going to get specific. Because this is a good way to begin the evaluation what are you strong in? What are you weak in? If you're strong, praise God. But just be careful. Don't get prideful. Be humble about being strong in certain areas. It's good to be strong. But if you're weak in certain areas, this is where like the, the, the little thing comes and boom, point, it hits you, <laughs> hits me. So Galatians 4, 19 to 21, talk about the works of the flesh. Great place to start. This is our barometer. Many of us were living in the works of the flesh when we got saved. I mean, you know, it's only natural. But now that we're saved, what do we do with those works of the flesh? All right, so here's, I, I broke it down into four categories of sins. Okay? So if you want to look in your Bible, you can. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to give you what it says. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The first area of sin is sexual sin. 
I didn't come up with this. Paul did. The Holy Spirit did. But sexual sins are a big issue. And many people come to Christ entrenched in sexual sin. Well, what do you do with that? You work it out. Well, that's the hard part. That's like him saying in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Well, that's what they did. He said, well, now you have to work that out. So it has to be different. So let me, so he says in Galatians 5, the sexual sins, adultery. If we have sexual relationships with someone who's married, fornication, sexual relationship with anybody, lewdness, some type of perverted thing, uncleanness, Unclean sexual practices probably has to do or probably has to include homosexuality, different things. But if you get saved and, and, and people get saved in that, praise God. But now that they're saved in that, they have to step out of that and they have to work it out. And it doesn't come overnight. I'm, I, I know that. But it's a principle involved. Once we were like that, now we have to be like this. And there's a process involved. But work it out. That's why I, I, I tell everyone all the time, don't be so quick to judge somebody where they're living, how they're living, or what their lifestyle is. You don't know what they've been through. Thank God they got saved. Amen. And God will work it out. Because remember, verse 13 says God is continuing to work this out. So someone gets saved, they now have a, an unction within them, within them to work it out. So, okay, that's one area, sexual sin. Another area in, in Galatians 5 is theological sins. Some people come to Christ, and what he says in that passage is heresy, sorcery, or idolatry. A lot of people are getting saved out of, out of cults, say, out of some heresy that they believe, something about Jesus or maybe some other religion or some other faith or some new age thing that they had. Or some people have idolatry. They, they worship money or things or possessions. They don't even know that it's not right to do that. But if you're coming to the Lord in that, now you have to work that out of you, more or less, and put God first in your life. So work out the theological issues or uh, theological sins. The th third area I would call party sins. Not lack of a better word, party sins. Drunkenness, revelry, cursing, carousing around, the party life. So once someone gets saved, guess what? You're not supposed to be living that way anymore. Hate to be the bearer of, well, this is good news, actually. God has something better for you. But you can't enjoy that and live for God at the same time. You can't go out on Saturday night living like the devil and come to church on Sunday and expect to get a blessing from God. I don't know. I mean, although, 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 if someone did that, come to church on Sunday anyway. Let God deal with you. <laughs> right? It's all right. Uh, we'll take anybody. We'll take anybody. But party sins. Because there's enough, there's enough fun and excitement and things to do within the body of Christ that's not worldly and ungodly. The, the last area is pride, pride sins. Hate, contentions, jealousy, outburst of wrath, self-ambition, dissensions, and murder. So in some people, they're in that when they get saved. So now that you're saved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You ever wonder why church life is so interesting? 
I'm going to write several books on this subject one day, but church life is so interesting because flesh is meeting spirit all the time. The spirit of God is moving upon sinful flesh and there's a clash. And sometimes the relationships within a church setting become volatile. They become explosive even. But that's because we're all trying to work things out and God's doing something and some are yielding, some are fighting and there's conflict sometimes. But you know what? God's in all of this. But we've got to figure out what is our weakness? What is the thing that we're prone to do when stress happens? That, that's a good point. Usually we're, we're good, pretty good, until something happens that makes us want to think, you know what? I'm so discouraged. I'm going to go back to my old life. What is that? What, what would you do? And whatever that is, that's what you really need to work on and work out of your life. And, and see, the thing is, the Lord, the Lord has given you and me the Holy Spirit to help us. And he's given us the church to help us if the church was obedient to do that in a proper manner without being criti- critical. So number one, if you want to work it out, discover what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Work on those weaknesses. Number two is this. I alluded to it in verse number 13. In the midst of all this, recognize that it's God at work in you. You might be thinking like, why can't I enjoy my sin anymore? Well, that's because the Holy Spirit is all over you. He's not going to let you enjoy it. You got delivered from it. But I like it. Yeah, but no. But it's God at work in you. And and the Lord says, you work out your salvation. You work it out. But really, know in the back of your mind, it's God in you that's working it out for you. Remember Philippians 1.6, he's faithful to complete the work. We just have to cooperate with him. So um, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, one of my favorite verses, it says this. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being changed from glory to glory. And here's the thing, none of us have arrived yet. When you think you arrived, we got the perfect section up here, no one's taking a seat yet. If you think you made it, let me know. I'll be glad to set you up. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, we have, a, we have a, an invisible section where if someone arrives at perfection in your life, we will sit you in a prominent seat on the platform so everyone can see that you have reached perfection. No one has taken the bait yet. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. So, so here's the thing. Recognize it's God. So if a brother in Christ, or a pastor even, oh, that's a good one. If a pastor tries to speak into your life, don't get mad at the pastor. Don't get mad at somebody that's trying to correct you or guide you or speak into your life. Allow that to happen because behind all that, it's God working through these people. It's God working in you. Don't get mad at your spouse or your friends or your family. He, God is working on changing you. And for most of us, change comes hard. Who wants to change? I, I, don't, I didn't want to. I still don't want to. But God puts us in the pressure cooker. And he makes us see, I can't go that way. I, I know it's wrong to do that. I, I have to stay on track with the Lord. And so he, he wants to change us so that he could use us. 
He's looking for some cooperation. He's looking for holiness, sanctification. Uh, He's looking for someone to leave the worldly lifestyle and get consecrated to him. So number one, discover your, your strengths and weaknesses. Number two, recognize it's God working in you anyway. He just wants you to cooperate with him. Number three is this. work it out. Verse number 14. Try your hardest. Let me me kneel down when I say this. Try your hardest to live at peace with all men. Try your hardest. It's probably one of the most difficult things we could do. Our example is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the King of Glory. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Peace. Live at peace. Peace is a, a Christian characteristic related to love. Peace and love. Live at peace with all men. Don't argue. Don't complain. Don't dispute. It doesn't mean that there's always going to be 100% agreement with everything, but there's a way to discuss things, a way to communicate. Try your hardest to live at peace. Let me give you a couple of references here. Romans 14.1 says this. Listen to this, how practical this is. Paul says, receive one who is weak in the faith. Makes sense? Receive one who's weak in the faith, but don't argue and dispute over their issues. Can you see it happening? Leave him alone. No, I can't leave him alone. He's doing this. He's done. Shut up. Don't worry about it. Don't accept one who's weak in the faith, but don't argue about their situation. Love them, work with them, work with each other, figure out a plan how to help somebody, but don't, don't make World War III out of it. 1 Peter 4, 9, I love this scripture. Be hospitable to one another. Makes sense, right? Be hospitable, you know, bless people, whatever. But, but do it without grumbling. Oh, I'll make the dessert again, all right. Yeah, I'll take out the garbage, sure, why not? I'll do the cooking. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, the fact that it's in the word of God is killing me. Be hospitable, but do it without grumbling. Oh, <laughs> Romans twelve eighteen. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. I, I, I tell, tell you personally, I've tried hard to live at peace with everybody. I do. Pam knows. She knows. I do. I'm not batting a thousand. I fail sometimes. But it takes two to tango. There's got to be some agreement. And sometimes there's not going to be peace. If you're doing your part, you're good. If you're not doing your part, you should do your part. If there's still no peace, then it's on them and you're good. Just get on with it. But this is a tough challenge. But remember, it's not the old man, it's the new man that the Lord is speaking to here. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Do your part. How do I do my part? <laughs> want to know how? Bite your tongue. I don't want to bite my tongue. You have to bite your tongue sometimes, Ricky. <laughs> sometimes you have to let it go. Sometimes you have to admit you were wrong. Sometimes you need to apologize and not double down on your opinion because you're digging a deeper hole for yourself. 
You know, many years ago, we developed this theme for the church. Pamela really came up with it. The acronym GROW. People grow at new life. Grounded in the word. Build relationship. Outreach oriented. Worship with passion. That R part, I never realized how important it was until a year or so into it when I realized relationships are just about everything. From family to workplaces, at school, in the church, relationships are so important. And so the Lord has called us to live at peace with one another, work out that old nature, that old man that's always criticizing or whatever, maybe quick to react to something, but work on it and, and let God change us in that. Amen? The fourth one, another fourth tip for working it out. Verses 15 and 16 I put it this way, just recognize the fact that there's a greater purpose in all of this. I think I told you when I first got saved for the couple of years, first couple of years, I thought it was all about me getting myself better. I really did. And to a degree, it is, you know, we all need to get better, get whole and get, you know, get established. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. If you look at verses 15 and 16, what, what Paul is saying here, you know, get your life under control, work out your salvation, but it's not all about you. Follow Jesus' example. Verse 5, let, let the mind of Christ be in you. Verse 12, work it out. And now verses 15 and 16, mature in your faith. Be blameless. Let your light shine. Be ready for Jesus' return. Because in that setting, God could use you to tell somebody else about him. And that's the whole point of this. It's not just about getting our lives together. It's good to get our life together. But in the process of that happening, we now become usable in God's hands. I'll guarantee you there's somebody in your family, in my family, somebody at your workplace, somebody in the community that you know needs Jesus. And they may never come through this doorway. Not yet. But you're there. You can be a light to somebody and lead them to the Lord right where you're at. Some of my best experiences with the Lord and people were before I was officially in ministry when I used to work in a secular job. Many times there were opportunities to share my faith with people that I knew they would never come to church. But I knew I was there to be a light for the Lord. So in all of this, try to understand when, when Paul says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, it's for your own good, yes. But the greater picture is God wants to use you to touch somebody else. 1 Timothy 3.15 talks about the, the, the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to be the, a pillar and foundation of the truth. And so as we're living in the truth, walking in the truth, we're fulfilling the function of the church. And you're making the leaders happy and proud of you for doing what you're supposed to do. And the church is developing into the work of God that he created for that church in the first place. Here's the truth that Jesus alone saves, Jesus alone sanctifies, and Jesus alone sends. Are you ready to be sent somewhere, church? I don't mean too far. Well, Olivia's going to Indonesia, but I mean, I, I, how about around the corner? How about your neighborhood? How about your workplace? So, why don't we stand together? In conclusion, work it out. Work it out. The world will be a better place if we follow this advice.
Can I get an amen right there? The world will be a better place. Work it out. Know yourself. Know your strengths and your weaknesses. Know that it's God at work in you. Try your best to live at peace with everybody. And know that there's a greater purpose. Let's read verses uh, 12 and 13. We abbreviated verse 12 a little bit. Can you say it with me? Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. One more time. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. Every head bowed for just a moment. I'm going to ask for a response today. Um, I'm reflecting in my own life, and there were times like these when the pastor would give the word, and uh, he would give an altar call of sorts, and he would ask for a response, and all of a sudden my heart would start pounding a little bit, and I would begin to sweat. And I knew God was speaking to me. And most of those times I responded by coming up and have someone pray for me. And it was a good thing. Um, I wonder if, if Alan and Bill, if you two guys, just, just come up here, stand here. Be ready to pray with some people. But I wonder, just simply, if there's anyone here today, well, first of all, that needs to accept Jesus. We need to settle that issue to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And secondly, now that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, are you ready to work some things out? This is going to be a step of faith. I'll guarantee you, if you could walk out of your seat to come up here for prayer, God will honor that. May not be today, may be next week or next month, but God will remember your act of faith and your sincerity to give God a chance to work out your life for his purposes. So I'm going to pray. And then as, as the Lord leads you, I'm going to ask you to, those of you that want to, come up and receive prayer from these two gentlemen. I'll also be down here in the front. Dear Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for this service today. Thank you, Lord, for the honor given to the moms of the congregation. May your rich blessing be upon all the mothers here. And uh, we thank you for them. Lord, we also want to thank you for your word and the proclamation, the preaching of your word today to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Lord, it's good to know that you, you saved us and you didn't leave us where we were. You saved us with all this potential and you've given us the responsibility to follow up on what you've begun in us. So Lord, I, I pray that this message would, would reap great results in the days and weeks and months and years ahead as we all recognize you're just starting what, what, you, what you're doing in us. You're looking for us to cooperate. So Lord, as we conclude here, may your blessing be upon this altar time. May the afterglow of your presence uh, flood those that are here during this time of prayer. So we thank you. We praise you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, so if you need prayer, come on up here. If you need coffee, go over there. <laughs>
If you got to go, there's the door. But if you need prayer today, please come. Let the Lord know you mean business with him. God bless you.